G'day, I'm Sean and welcome to the Car Expert Podcast. We're back. Thanks for being patient with us. We had a much needed break. Uh, Scott, how was your leave, mate? Yeah, I played one of the best rounds of golf of my life. So, you know, kicking goals away from the podcast that don't count for anything in real life. Yeah, right. Well, uh, that's Scott playing golf and the man who has a golf, James Wong, he's here as well. You were actually doing some work the week that we were away. Yeah, I I just heard you say leave and I was like, what's leave? I'm always here, so I don't know. (laughs) Well, maybe we'll let you take some next year. We'll see how we go. He's wearing his prison top today too. Just to to really hammer home the point that we make him work hard. (laughs) Uh, We've got an exciting show today. Today we're talking about the brand new Subaru Forester. We're not sure when it's coming, but we've got some uh, facts and figures on it. Uh, we've got the MG X Power that we recently drove and drag race. So we're going to chat a little bit about that. And we're going to ask the question, are Australia's speed limits a little bit too low? Uh, but we'll dive straight in. Uh, Subaru dropped last week, well actually the pictures were leaked to start with, and then they officially announced a new Forester on the way, which uh, looks... You can kind of see the old one, but it's also quite new. It's like the old one sort of combined with the Ascent, which is the big four-wheel drive they have in America, and then Suzuki ran an S-Cross into the back of it. (laughs) It's sort of a hybrid of those three things, but it is definitely a Subaru Forester. They don't mess with the formula too much. And it is a hybrid. There is a hybrid in the range, um, which sounds like it's going to be improved over the current gen. And James, I know we were talking uh, before we started filming this about the current hybrid system in the Forester and what this new one. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Subaru's confirmed that they'll be using Toyota's hybrid tech, which is a pretty big step change from the current one. Um, they use like a basically a 48 volt mild hybrid system that they dub an actual hybrid, which as... Um, generous branding, I think, yeah, is the bit, way to put that. It's a bit that. generous because it obviously doesn't offer the same kind of fuel savings that you get out of a Toyota hybrid, but the new one will basically have Toyota's batteries, um, electric motors bolted onto a Subaru engine, which I found quite interesting because that was a conversation that we've had in the mm. past about um, Mazda, Suzuki and Subaru all being sort of, uh, Toyota has stakes in them Mm. to an extent. So they're all being able to use Toyota's hybrid tech moving forward. And we were wondering how it would sort of manifest into a production model, whether these companies would keep their own engine tech and then just bolt the system on, which is what Subaru is doing. So yeah, I found that interesting, but there's not really too much detail around what that system is yet because it's not actually going into production until like 2025. Something like that. I think they've called it a 2025 model for the US, but that could mean anything from January 1, 2024 onwards, basically. So. We'll know more next year. I am a a little bit disappointed, to be honest. I I love Subarus, I've owned three of them, so I'm a little bit biased on that front. But I'm just so sick of seeing the same stuff from them every single time. This new Forester in the States is a carryover engine. It's a 2.5 litre boxer. It's got 134 kilowatts, 240 Newton meters, got a CVT. It's just time for them to move forward and do something more because I know that people buy one Subaru and then keep buying them but they are getting left behind in the engine tech stakes at this point. And in the current car, which is not all that heavy, it feels undergunned. I can't imagine how this bigger new one with more tech and more luxury inside is gonna feel when you put five kids on board. Obviously the imagery we have at the moment is all from the US spec, so it might vary a little bit by the time it gets here, but the interior looks a lot like what we've just seen come out in the new Outback, which is a really nice, a really lovely interior. It's got a massive screen, yep. really comfy seats, um, good in, like it's a good infotainment system. Um, so I guess they, they've finally jumped up a little bit with that. But yeah, in terms of the engine and the CVT uh, combination at the moment is, is not It's not pretty, particularly it? inspiring, yeah. no. But I suppose the flip side of that is we, we really like Subaru because I know you've had one in your family as well, James. You've got a rally connection. The brand probably punches above its weight. 
it is a small company and, and investing in new engines is, is expensive. So I understand why they do it. But yeah, take all the tech away. The one thing that we liked about the Outback last year is that they finally gave it a 2.4 turbo. It's a shame that at launch so far we haven't heard of that same engine being offered in the Forester. Yeah, I will jump in there and say, depending on what Japan does, because currently the Forester over there gets a 1.8 litre turbo, which isn't quite the 2.4, but it definitely has more punch than the 2.5 litre does. And when I spoke to the local managing director recently asking if we'd get the turbo in the current one before the new one comes in, he was like, we're not going to do it for this generation. So it perhaps leaves the door open that if the new one in Japan only comes with the 1.8 litre turbo again, that we could get that as the petrol engine and then also get the new hybrid as well. So I guess at the moment, the American spec is all we can go off, but hopefully there's good things to come for other markets. To talk about the, the fact that it has a Toyota hybrid system mm -hmm. going into it, the hybrid Camry drives very, very well. It's a, and the hybrid RAV4, very, very nice car to drive. Almost feels like it's got a turbocharger and it just gives you that extra, extra boost bit of push. and pushes you along. Do you think that's kind of what we're hoping to see here with the new Forester? I think it's going to have to be with the hybrid system. I do think the key difference is going to be the engine, obviously. Uh, Toyota hybrids we're very familiar with because when you do put your foot down past a certain point, the petrol engine kicks in and you get that same sort of flat Toyota sound, but it's pretty well insulated. Subaru obviously has boxer engines in its cars, so we're assuming it's going to be a boxer hooked up to the Toyota electric motor and battery. Uh, I think the key with it is not going to be the performance because we know what the electric motor is going to do for it. I actually think it's going to be how Subaru manages to keep its engine quiet and all the vibrations at bay. Even in their latest cars, you turn them on and they do this flare of revs and they sit there and you can kind of feel the boxer as it idles, which is the same thing it did in my 2007 Liberty. So I actually think that's the characteristic they're going to need to work on more than they are the performance, which we know the electric motor will give. All right, so this is the subjective part that we can actually comment on is the, okay, I like the interior. I think you guys kind of like the interior because yep. I know we like the Outback, but the exterior seems to be dividing some opinions. So I think we'll let Scott go first on that one. I think it's a bit of a dog's breakfast. Uh, Subaru not known for making beautiful cars. They are known for releasing beautiful concepts and then <laughs> dialing them back. This is really fussy. I think it'll look better in person because it's going to be quite big and have presence about it, but yeah, it's definitely one that needs to be had in a dark colour for me based on the amount of black plastic and the black light bar at the back. Maybe that's the way we need to do it. It's very American. And like I said, this is an American model that we're seeing, yeah. so it may change. But James, what are your thoughts, mate? Similar thoughts. I feel like this one in particular, it lacks the identity that we've seen in their latest models. You look at Outback, WRX, Lavorg, um, Crosstrek, they all still have a very um, familiar face and it's got like the, the grill, the headlight design's all consistent, whereas this sort of throws all that out the window. And perhaps this is ushering in a new design philosophy, but it's also very ambiguous and doesn't really look like a Subaru. It sort of looks like a Suzuki in places. It also looks like a Jeep or, you know, uh, there were some other influences there. That it looks bit... like it got a Ranger tailgate, the indented Forester written yeah. across the tailgate. Yeah, yeah. it was just, there's, it's a bit of a mishmash of things and it just, um, you know, to, my, to me personally, it wasn't my favourite. So I'm hoping that when I see one in person that looks a little bit more um, inviting. I suppose if nothing else, we know Subaru buyers are incredibly loyal. So for everything we're saying about it, I bet you it'll sell well. Absolutely. And look, I'm looking forward to getting it because the Subaru Forester is our current reigning uh, midsize yeah, SUV off -road champ. So hopefully this can maintain it, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Mm. 
Could be next year, could be the year after, but the second we can get our hands on it, we will absolutely be pitting it against the others and seeing how it does. Uh, let's move on though. We're gonna go a little more electric now. <laughs> uh, the MG4 is uh, the latest offering from the British slash Chinese company MG, since 1924 apparently. Uh, this The MG4 is a fully electric model and they have a model called the X-Power, which is, I guess the, that's the MG's answer to the Model 3 performance, the Model Y performance, that sort of style car. Yeah, it's the it's the budget hot hatch or yeah. super hatch we've been talking about all year. Cost less than 60 grand in yes. Australia, zero to 100 in less than four seconds, which no matter what you pit it against, Model 3 performance is 95 grand, was something like that. We don't have a new one yet. A Golf R is 75, an AMG A45 is 120 in Australia. To get that sort of performance for that money, on paper at least, is really appealing. Well, so you say on paper, so they claim 3.80 to 100. We tested it uh, last week and we got a 3.92. It's pretty good. Which is pretty good. That's that on a hot good. day on an unprepared surface. Yep, so, absolutely. Yeah. And after the car, like this wasn't full, we didn't have full battery or anything like that. So um, pretty good for that. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the drag race I did with it soon, but let's just have a look at, at the car. I actually... I'm not a huge fan of the exterior, but I quite like the interior because it doesn't feel like a Tesla because mostly it has a dash. <laughs> but, but what do you guys think in terms of like electric cars are often a bit wild and they're trying to be a bit different with the design, but what do you guys think about the MG4's design? I think from the front, it's quite handsome. Um, it's a very like sleek design, um, a bit minimalist. I like the, the X-Power's wheels and everything all comes together really nicely. Not the brakes though. Yeah, the, 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 the Fake caliper cover things are <laughs> questionable, but they look cool when it's parked up. Um, the back is a little bit more, you know, that new age sort of, you know, those, those Hot Wheels um, proprietary designs where they had always yeah. like the wild and it wacky ones. It could be ones. like a, a Grand Theft Auto car almost with yeah. some of the details. There's it's almost it? like a Toyota CHR on the back. It's got like that sort of, they just kept designing it and kept yeah, designing it. Yeah, there's a few it. different elements in there that you can see have been in, inspired, we'll say, by, by other brands. But um, I think it, you know, it's got, it carves its own sort of look and feel and the, I think it it's well proportioned. It, it sort of sticks out a little bit. The lighting signatures are also really cool. Um, so it's definitely not, I wouldn't say it's ugly, like some other electric cars that we've seen lately, but um, yeah. I think the interior is kind of the highlight. If we're talking design before we get to the performance, the exterior is what it is. I actually don't mind it, but the way it is inside is really simple and clean. It's just a screen on the dashboard and a screen in front of the driver. But one of my problems with a lot of electric cars, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, is they try to do too much. Whereas this is just a car. It gives you a simple infotainment system that I find really easy to use simple information in front of the driver, a pretty good driving position. I do wish the X-Power got a proper set of bucket seats because it is so quick. Uh, a bit more support wouldn't go astray, but MG seems to have focused its money on what counts here, which is obviously for one, how it goes, but also there's good space inside and it's a good showroom price. I'm more worried about that than I am the way it looks outside or inside. I think that's a very, that's a very Chinese car thing where they, they really focus on the interior the space in the back seat, there's a lot of leg room in the back. The boot space, not not amazing. But yeah, it's not terrible, but given the exterior size of the yeah. car, you might expect a little bit more. Yeah. Um, still very usable though. And the, the range of these is actually not terrible either. So they're actually designed to be taken out and driven around. Well, I'm, I'm gonna stop you there because we, we did <laughs> okay, some how to go reality then. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. the performance testing we did down at Lang Lang where we were drag racing against the BMW, uh, MG says you get 385 kilometers of range, but with our average of, I think it was 29 kilowatt hours per 100, Ooh. 
you would have got about 210 k's of range and that manifested with me needing to plug into a slow charger at Lang Lang first up to actually get enough charge to then get me to a fast charger. I rolled him with 1% battery left, right. um, which is not MG's fault. I mean, you drive a petrol car hard and it uses a lot more fuel as well. But 385 k's is the claim. Depending on how you're driving, you might get 300 to 350. But if you're pushing hard as 320 kilowatts and 600 newton meters might inspire you to, uh, it is worth considering your charging options because we found out that battery really plummets when you push it. Mm. And so, James, did you, did you drive the X-Power? Yeah, I took yeah. it for a night or two, I think, yeah. And how did you find it? Um, it was... I can see what Scott's saying about the simplistic interior design. I actually found it a little bit underwhelming because once you get to the 60 grand mark, you know, it does feel like not a lot of effort has gone into dressing it up to make it feel the price that it is. And it was actually a similar um, thought that I had about the long range one that's only a few grand cheaper but has a bigger battery. Um, I do agree though that it's it's one of the cleaner designs. The, the, fit, the fit is good. The finish in areas is still not what I would um, expect of a car that expensive. And you know, like we, we've criticized stuff like the Cooper Born and the Volkswagen ID3 for similar reasons and they're sort of playing at a similar price point. And I guess you sort of have to knock MG for the same even though the, the, the powertrain obviously offers so much performance. Um, it's wicked fast. Like there was a couple of times where I, I really gave it, you know, plants to my foot and it, it made me sort of go like, it oh hurts, geez. doesn't it? Yeah. That initial. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive how fast it is in a straight line. I did find in areas that it was a little bit rough and unrefined. Like you get a little bit of powertrain noise, the brakes can screech a little bit. Um, it doesn't quite feel like it can handle the performance it does as soon as the road makes a curve. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite as tied down in that sense. So this is definitely like, I suppose the question with the X-Power that we had was, well, it's really quick in a straight line, but is it the new prototype hot hatch? And I think the answer is not yet. It feels like a rocket on a roller skate in the straight line, but even though it's got some really clever tech, it's got torque vectoring by braking, it's got an electronic locking differential. When you do put your foot down in a corner, you get this feeling of, oh my God, what do I do with this power? And you can feel the brakes sort of grabbing, you can feel this diff lock trying to do its thing. Whereas I know a Golf R is more expensive, but the powertrain on that thing is so impressive that when you put your foot down mid corner, Rather than it trying to think about what to do, starting to run wide, it just kind of grips and goes. And the MG, I think the next step for it is to get to that point where it also offers that same sort of anywhere, anytime effortless performance because it's fun. Like you can really feel it moving around a bit when you brake. It's so quick in a straight line, but it's not a proper performance car in the way it handles just yet. Well, I guess, you know, I know that MG claim they've been around since 1924, but let's be honest, they are very much still a new company. Absolutely, it's young. They have come a long way since the MG3 came out a couple of years ago. So they're moving in the right direction, I guess, is, Absolutely. is really what it's about. Yeah. Can you offer people a teaser as to this drag race? Because yes. I was driving the other car <laughs> yes. next to Paul and I was absolutely blown away by how close this race was. Yes, so uh, this is coming up on our YouTube channel very soon, so uh, make sure you subscribe to that. Uh, we got a BMW i7. Yep. which you can have one BMW i7 or you can have five and three quarter MG <laughs> for X powers. Um, but the BMW i7 weighs 2.7 tonne. It's yeah. a very, very heavy car. It's a big old bus. It is made to ferry celebrities who are environmentally conscious to and from the airport and their hotels. But uh, it also goes very, very quickly in a straight line. And the way that it accelerates mm. is absolutely mind-boggling. The way that it bogs down 
and just launches. It's it like a powerboat, isn't it, it? The way the nose sits up. And it, it doesn't. It defies the laws of physics. <laughs> it's, it's honestly insane. Um, I'm not going to reveal exactly who won or uh, the total results, but what I do want to say is. At the end of the day, when we tested the quarter mile, there was less than 0.3 of a second between the two cars. That's close. So that is insane. from the driver's seat of that BMW, there's kind of an arrogance you get. You put your foot on the brake and the door electrically closes and it's silent and there's crystal inside and it makes Hans Zimmer noises and it's just a beautiful car. Mm. And there's something about that that instinctively you look at the Chinese hatchback to your left and go, blow you away, you are nothing, you are a beetle. Not the case. Uh, I, at multiple times in those drag races, looked to my left and went, what the hell are you doing there? It is so close. Yeah, so make sure you subscribe for that because uh, that is coming and uh, you're not going to want to miss it because it's actually, it doesn't sound that interesting, but it actually it was is a really, really fun fascinating. Race. Yeah. It's time for our Help Me Car Expert section where we uh, put to you guys an alternative car that you could buy. Now this week it is the Mazda 3. Massive wait times. It is one of the most popular cars in Australia. Um, it's hard to get the ones that you want. What are your alternatives to a Mazda 3? Um, I had a long think about this one because there's quite a few good options and given the Mazda 3 has such a wide reaching range, it was sort of trying to figure out where, what price point you want to shop in. Um, I went with the Cupra Leon V, which is probably a car that not a lot of people know about. Um, it's, it's sort of like the Spanish brand's alternative to the Golf. It's based on the same platform. It's effectively a Golf underneath. But the base one, um, what they've done is they've fully decked it out with all the features and tech that you get across the range, but it's got a 140 kilowatt um, two litre petrol engine, which is basically a detuned version of the one you get in the GTI. And so- It's a really good engine, that one. It's a great engine, yeah. It's, it's, it's fast enough, but it's still refined. Um, it gets smaller wheels than the other models in the range, so it's quite comfortable. It still gets adaptive suspension as well, so you can make it as comfortable or as sporty as you like. Um, it's got good space in the back. You've got a decent-sized boot, which is a key um, pain point for the uh, Mazda 3. Um, so you've got like a really well-rounded package that, for similar money in a Golf, you don't get an engine that's anywhere near as powerful, plus you get more kit. Um, and it's something a little bit different because Coopers have quite an angular, angry design that makes people sort of turn their heads as you drive past. What is that thing? Exactly right. So that, that was my pick. What about you, Scott? I went a similar train of thought to James. I've gone a Hyundai i30 N-Line. Um, Great choice. I really like it. It's a, it's a punchy turbocharged 1.6. You can still get a manual as well, That's which for now at least is the case. We know they're transferring over to European supply next year and that might go away. But it's just a good all-rounder and it's a car that has been around for quite a while now. But just every time I drive one, it's quicker than you expect, it's more spacious than you expect, and it handles really well. I actually, if yeah, you were to get the Cupra, yeah, we could, uh, we could go and have some, some fun out in the hills because they're two of the best handling sort of, call them warm hatches out there. And quite a looker too. Let's yeah, I think it's I a really handsome thing. So uh, look, if you're interested in either one of those cars and you want to get your hands on it quickly, head to Google and type in Help Me Car Expert. We can uh, connect you to a series of vetted dealers that can get you into one of these cars quicker and possibly even cheaper than you might think. So. Google Help Me Car Expert, and if you do end up using it, leave a comment, let us know how the experience was. All right, uh, this is an interesting one, this, this topic, and um, I know we live in Victoria, so this is, we're probably gonna be crucified for the conversation we're about to have. <laughs> yeah, speed is the enemy. Speed is the enemy, but uh, the cities, oh, well, the suburbs of Fitzroy and Collingwood are doing a trial, dropping quite a number of their road speed limits to 30 kilometres an hour. Uh, the Victorian Police Chief Commissioner, Shane Patton, came out and said, 
that's not the answer, which is ironic given the Victorian police's stance on speed. Uh, but he made a very valid point saying that most of the incidents and death uh, road fatalities happen in the country in regional areas. So uh, I'm curious, basically my question is, and I want to start this conversation, are speed limits too low in Australia? Is like in general? Yes. Um, yeah. That's the yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Good chat. Uh, the reason I the reason I say that is last night, uh, literally last night, I drove back from Canberra down the Hume Highway, 110 the whole way. If that was 130, I would have shaved an hour or a bit over an hour off my trip, which is an hour less time I could be falling asleep at the wheel. Mm -hmm. And that's 130, like 110 to 130 isn't that dramatically different in terms of the handling of a car. So what do you guys think? Like, I'm not talking about a terrible country road, but on main highways, could the speed limits be higher to actually make it safer for us? A hundred percent. I think that speed's not really the issue. It's around, you know, driver con um, training and education where people need to learn how to control a vehicle that, you know, it, there are so many of us, all of us have had experience driving on a track and we go well over the signed speed limits on a highway and we're perfectly um, safe. Just to be clear, on the on track, track we go track, well yeah, over yeah, the not on, not, yes. not, on, not on the way there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you, you get a feel for what a, a car's capable of and what you're willing to do. And, you know, I just came back from Europe a, a month or so ago and driving on the roads there, you know, the speeds get much higher. There, there are more people on the road that can drive a little bit more crazy. but. Things just down to like lane etiquette and you know being a bit more courteous and understanding where you might want to slow down even if the slide the speed limits are certain things you're coming up to a bend and things like that people just do that there whereas here it seems like no one really understands so it doesn't really matter what the speed limit is if you have people that just don't understand how roads work or how their car works you're gonna have problems all the time so I think that's really what the crux of it is yeah I think it does come back to the highway question, because this this decision from the city of Yarra, I think 30 is too slow. I mean, driving a modern car at 30 is painful because they are not designed to go that speed in town. Um, but ultimately, they're on streets that are around cyclists and pedestrians and shops, and I can actually understand that rationale. I think that there's no real excuse for going fast in areas where there are kids running around and people on bikes and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Look, I'm not really that yeah. opposed to the 30Ks an hour thing, like especially around schools and, yeah. and those areas where there's trams and there's Absolutely, people. Absolutely, yeah. It actually You're not going faster than that anyway. Exactly. But <laughs> on the highway, I, one of the things that has always perplexed me is we have the ability to monitor weather conditions in real time. And most of Victoria's like inner city highways have adjustable speed limits. Which are always set to 80. Which are 40. always set to 80 or 40, or 40. for absolutely yes. no reason at all. <laughs> but that could be used on the Hume, for example, which is a well-surfaced two-lane highway with safety barriers the length of it, to when conditions are good, set the speed limit to 130. And then when it starts raining or when there's heavy traffic or something like that, drop it back to 110 or 100. So. I think what frustrates me about it is not so much the going slowly thing, because I get that there are situations where you need to do that, that's common sense. But it's this idea that we do have the technology to do variable speed limits, but rather than using them to let us get where we need to go faster, they only actually apply when we need to slow people down. Um, I think the other reason behind it in Victoria in particular is the Hume is now pretty much from Melbourne all the way to the border with New South Wales monitored by point-to-point -point cameras. And those point-to-point -point cameras are going to, you know, snap less people if the limit's higher and they're less likely to be speeding. So there's also definitely a revenue-raising angle on this, which is another frustrating conversation worth having. But, yeah, the fact that we're treated like children and not given the opportunity to actually do the speed that the road's designed for and our modern cars are designed for is 
kind of offensive, I think. Well, it's, and I think the, the thing is, you know, you go to Outback Queensland or the Territory and you, it's 130 kilometre hour speed limits. Mm -hmm. And the reasoning is you want to get people to their destination sooner so there's less chance that they're going well, to fall that, asleep and hit near you. The fastest I've ever seen a croc move is about 110. Yeah. So yes. 130 <laughs> lets you outrun yes. us. Yes. Um, I guess, yeah, that's the thing. I, there's plenty of roads that are 80 for a very good reason. They're not, they're not to conditions or mm. the quality is not very good. But our main highways, you know, driving down the Hume Highway is the most boring drive it's in the world. It's soul destroying. And even if I've had a 20 hour sleep prior, I'm still going to get to a point where I probably want to doze off because it yeah. is just dull. And, you know, it, going faster doesn't really keep you more awake, but it's just limiting that time, right? So yeah. do you think even with the, I guess, the standards of Australian drivers, which are not amazing, do you think it would be safe enough to do it when the traffic is, you know, moderate? Look, I'm not a road design expert, so I'm, I'm, I suppose that's worth qualifying here. Of course I do, because I, I think it's what it should be. Um, whether or not that plays out in the real world, I don't know, but I do think it's it's definitely something that I'd love to see the data on. I think it's worth investigating because moving slower is bad for everybody, right? It's bad for the economy when you're talking about trucks running stuff up and back between Melbourne and Sydney. It's bad for you know people who need to get where they're going and who spend longer on the road. It's also just like, I mean, as a modern developed nation that likes to think that we are on a par with Europe and the USA and places like that, the fact that we treat people with the contempt we do on the roads is just baffling. It's really confusing. So I think in that context as well, motorists almost deserve to have at least, you know, it looked into. Let's let's weigh up the benefits and costs of this and, and try to understand why we're not doing it beyond just, hey, fast is dangerous and we've always done it this way. I think also, and I know you guys have read this, but Wheels back in the day actually did an investigation into this. And I know they're one of our rivals, but it was a really interesting story and showed that, well, yeah, it is possible to get from Melbourne to Sydney faster without driving off the road and exploding into a fireball. And yes, exactly. The point of that is the journalist who did that was from Europe and he is now back living in Europe, alive. Yes. Although <laughs> not, only, uh, only once he'd gone home did they publish the story because yes. they knew the stinker did kick up. Very, very smart, very smart move there. All right, so now that we've solved uh, the, the nation's <laughs> problems on speed limits, we'll move on to our picks of the week. Uh, James, I'm going to throw it over to you first this week because uh, I, I know both of your picks sort of relate, so yeah. I'll, I'll let you go first, James. Yeah, so I'm actually not somebody who typically follows F1 very closely. I've sort of, you know, motorsport's not really been my thing, but over the weekend I watched the Las Vegas Grand Prix and it was the first race I'd watched in a while. So Scott and I've worn you down over the past couple <laughs> yeah, of weeks. Yeah, everyone talking about it, I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. So um, the, the race itself was pretty entertaining, but, you know, for the longest time, it was like the Red Bull 1-2 that was for the bulk of the second half of the race. And then right at the end, Charles Leclerc just came through on the last corner and overtook um, whoever number three was. Sergio Perez. That one, see? I'm still learning. Um, <laughs> but it was such an epic thing. And when I tell you I was watching it and I got up out of my seat and, like, cheered because it was such a such an amazing move, um, it was just really cool vision so that's that's my pick of the week which we'll show now Imagine being a Ferrari fan, considering the year that Charles Leclerc Well, there's actually had. a reaction video from the team in the pits when he does it, and they're all like jumping out and like cheering and everything. So I just thought it was a really cool moment to see in motorsport. Oh, all right, Scott, what do you got? 
I'm going after the finish of the race. Um, Las Vegas had its problems, obviously. There was the manhole cover that destroyed Carlos Sainz's car. There was um, the lack of crowds for practice right, sessions. Right, for their 2 a.m. practice yes. session. Um, but they also tried to do some really interesting stuff. I actually quite liked some of the fan engagement stuff they were doing. One of the things that really I didn't understand, though, was at the end of the race, usually they walk into a cool-down room and they put caps on with first, second and third. And, and host the Max Verstappen podcast. Right, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's usually a bit of chat between the drivers. But this being Vegas, they decided we're not going to do that. We're going to sit them in the back of a Rolls-Royce, which is a cool idea, but the only camera angle they had was between the front seats. So it was just a shot of Max Verstappen's crotch. And Which then awkward... two hours in an F1 car wouldn't be the prettiest oh, place. I'm glad it wasn't smell-o-vision. Um, <laughs> But they had the two, you know, second and third place, uh, Charles and Checo sitting either side of him, and the awkward conversation in the back of this car between, you know, two guys who, one of whom had just overtaken the other for second place seconds ago, and then Max, who's won every race of the year. It was almost like one of those TV episodes where all the main characters get locked in a room because the budget's run out for that season. <laughs> a bottleneck episode. It yeah. was really awkward, but really kind of hilarious. Yeah. I, you know what? I feel like they missed a trick with that. Like what they should have had was like a, a 1970s Cadillac with the top down and an Elvis impersonator driving the yeah. down. Like that, now that's what they should have done. That's Vegas. Yeah, sort of thing that um, JFK got assassinated in would have been perfect. Yeah, but yes. <laughs> Are we allowed to talk about that yet? Or is it still too soon? Don't, I don't work for the US <laughs> government. I know it was a Lincoln, anyway. <laughs> um, all right, I'm surprisingly not picking a race car thing this week, <laughs> even though I, I kind of want to. But uh, Australia uh, developed the Ranger Raptor. Like, it was uh, all done here in Melbourne, a lot of the testing, the R&D and the development. Um, then a guy in England decided, what's a Raptor like to drive on two wheels? Uh, Paul Swift is a stunt driver in the UK. He has a bunch of Guinness World Records, um, but he decided to drive this Raptor up on two wheels through the tightest possible gap he could, which is 88 centimetres, which is about a third of Scott, just to put that in context. <laughs> Actually, oh, no, not quite. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it, absolutely phenomenal. Like, seeing this, this giant car, which is a, a ridiculously... Mm gargantuan looking car up on two wheels through this tight little gap yeah. absolutely phenomenal um and probably the softest landing he's ever had doing a stunt when the yeah. fox suspension caught him so did he do that was it james bond where they they drove the car onto two wheels to get through a gap between buildings yes but they shot it from opposing angles yes so the car goes, the car goes in, in on one, one side and, and comes, comes out, out on the other <laughs> yeah. and halfway through the shot they went oh well, this is weird so halfway through the shot he's wedged between the buildings and he goes changes sides which means he could have just driven through on all four wheels that's what i want to see from paul swift next yes uh well, <laughs> well we'll send him a tweet and see if he'll yeah we'll see it. if he responds uh, look, that pretty much sums it up uh, for the week i do want to leave with one final thought um i just want to do a big shout out to uh, harry bates and coral taylor won the australian rally championship on the weekend in the their uh, in their toyota yaris um which is Slightly different to you, Nancy Harris, but uh, absolutely epic weekend. It came down to a final battle between uh, Harry and Lewis Bates, uh, and at the end it was six seconds between them. Um, so, yeah, really cool to see, uh, like, a homologation car actually doing a rally and, and succeeding really well with it. So if you haven't checked out, go to YouTube and, and search it because it's absolutely epic to watch. Uh, any final thoughts from you guys? I've got nothing for you. I'm nothing. sorry. That's odd. <laughs> I'm very content as well. <laughs> I just want to—I want to see our Paul do the two-wheel thing in his Raptor. I think oh, that would be a really cool. I'm very pro that. Go up yeah. the logs at Lang Lang or down them on two wheels. 
That'd Great be way to check the diff as well if it's yeah. on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll come up and have a look afterwards. It, also, it doesn't matter if it's not working if you're only on two wheels. Yeah, exactly. Because one wheel. So, okay, well, um, if you'd like to see Paul Tesla's <laughs> on two wheels, uh, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, and uh, if you listen to us uh, on a podcast, uh, leave us a rating and a review. We'd, uh, we'd love a bit of feedback. We'd love to know what you think of our podcast. Uh, guys, thank you very much for coming along again this week. Uh, and... Uh, Next week might be a little different because Paul and I are actually off to India to check out some Mahindras. So we're going to do a sneaky little podcast, uh, well, not live, but sort of live from India. So uh, Scott and James will be back the following week, but next week, check it out. Paul Marrick and I in uh, Chennai, India. And if I've said that wrong, I do apologise. But thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next week.